Welcome to the KICC Malawi podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged with the message today. So if we don't have eyes to see like Christ admonishes us, that sometimes we may have eyes but we don't see, ears but we don't hear, then we miss out on what God's about. And that relates so well to what we're going to talk about this morning. Because when, when I was meditating on the messages, when he said, a higher calling, and there's a subtitle that says, it's not about you. Amen. It's not about you. And I'd like each one, of, each one of us and just say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Say it so that you believe it. It's not about me. And why do I say that it's not about us? Why is it so important to, to have that in mind? Many times, uh, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ for a variety of reasons. And this morning, I'd like us to do some personal reflection and just ask yourself, why did, you, why did you come to Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Why do you follow him? Why do you bother with being called a Christian? Why do I bother to continue to be a Christian? Is it so that I can be identified with a, with a body, you know, a community, a, a group like you, so that maybe when I die, people will say, oh, she was a Christian, so she had a Christian funeral. Was it maybe to escape hell? Or maybe to fulfill whatever need at that moment when, when I met Christ? Or the promise of a better life? For most of us, Christ becomes the obvious answer to our various crises. Um, sometimes it can be a crisis, a family crisis, or a financial crisis, or a health crisis, or a spiritual crisis. And Christ becomes that obvious answer. That's not a problem, because God uses many ways to call us to himself. The problem comes when we maintain our walk with Christ in the same mindset when we continue our faith in that crisis mode. Because while God may use that crisis to get your attention, it's not that crisis that will, will keep you there. It's not that crisis that will, will determine how you, how you survive or how you thrive, basically. Not just survive, but to thrive. For though, when we look at Mark 10, verse 15, our Lord Jesus Christ urges us to receive the kingdom of God as children, as a child. And when you look at the, 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 the characteristics of a child, they're so trusting, they're so innocent. They don't have PhDs to say, I know this and I know that. They don't have the, the disadvantage of experience to tell them it doesn't work. You know, they believe that unicorns are real and dragons and everything. They believe that their daddy is the superhero who can vanquish any fall. 
They believe anything. And that's what Jesus Christ you know, urges us to, to receive God, to receive the kingdom of God, as to come to God without trust, abandoned trust of God. However, we're not just to receive the kingdom of God as children, but we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to desire maturity. We're supposed to get established. In 1 Corinthians, we are commanded to be mature in understanding. So while our attitude is that of a babe, is that of a child, of trusting, our understanding should not remain that of a child. Our understanding should be one that grows, should be one that seeks to know better. Paul admonishes us when he says that brethren, and that's in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says, brethren, do not be children in your understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And he also says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, where he says we're to put away childish things. When a baby is born, we are all, you know, we're all excited and everything. And for, for me, I've been there three times. And they're so nice. They smell nice. They, they're chubby. They draw. they whatever. But they're demanding. Um, they are dependent on you. So dependent. And sometimes as a parent, you, you're like, oh, with this period, never Sometimes you say, can they grow up already? You know? Because that's the expectation. When you plant a seed, you watch over it so that it should grow and mature. That's the nature. That's a principle of life. There has to be growth and maturity and multiplication. It's unfortunate that uh, most of the times, even though we know this, this principle, we know this fact, but as Christians, we fail to put it into practice. And part of the reason is that most of the mess, uh, most of, not most, I shouldn't say most, but there's been a proliferation of message or a mindset that um, the gospel is about blessing. It's about getting. It's about being prosperous. It's about what I can get out of it. Oh, that is good. I mean, the Bible does promise that he's going to bless you and he's going to do this. But that's not the point. And that's why at the beginning, uh, I, you know, I encourage us to just speak to ourselves and say, it's not about us. While we may get the blessings, while it comes with the blessings, but the danger of focusing on that makes us lose sight what is the core of our faith? It's not about me. I am just a part of what God intends for me to do. So while he may bless me, while he may, he may 
re seemingly reward me or answer some of my desires. That's not the issue. The issue is about what he wants to accomplish, not even in my life, but in this world. And he chooses, he chooses to use me in that plan. Pastor Sunga shared, recently shared um, a story of how as a newborn Christian, he had asked his mentor a question that many of us will wrestle with or have wrestled with and will wrestle with. And that question is, now that I'm a Christian, will God rectify this crisis in my life? And if he does, will it be sooner rather than later? We hear this rhetoric many times, and we've said it many times. I've said it many times. Lord, how long? How long will this go on? How long will you not hear me? How long until I get that job? How long until that husband of mine changes or that wife of mine changes? How long if that's a, until that child of mine gets to his senses? How long until that boss of mine or whatever it is? Lord, how long? That's a question. Related to crisis. In his case, the question that he had asked his mentor is, now that I'm a Christian, will God reunite my parents? Will God answer that prayer so that my parents' marriage can be restored? Now, I know he's told me this salvation story so many times, but this aspect is one that he told me recently, like a few days ago, on Monday last week. And when he said that, I said, okay. I just, it just cemented the message that God has for us today. And one of the things that I liked about that, that story is the courage, but also the wisdom that his mentor answered, with, answered him with. She was courageous enough to say, you know what, you've got it all wrong. If your reason for coming to Christ is that is so that uh, your parents can get back together again, then you might as well stop right now. <laughs> because I cannot guarantee that. And God cannot guarantee that. Because your parents are free-willed people who are currently making choices and will continue to make choices. They have a choice whether or not to, you know, go God's way or go their way. So while that crisis may have been catalytic in giving them or giving him the need for Christ, but that was not the point. The point was him, for him to see Christ, to make that decision. And by God's grace, when he was confronted with that, his mentor told him, you, are, you have to make a choice. The reason that God is calling you, you have to get, you have to get to that point where you, you would still choose God, whether or not he answers this big need that you have. And by, God, by God's grace, 
Pastor Sunga made that choice to say, you know what? He still makes sense. Jesus still makes sense. God still makes sense. And that's a choice and that's a, a decision that we all have to make. Irrespective of whether or not God is going to resolve the crisis in our lives. Whether or not God is going to answer that prayer. Whether or not God is going to heal the person that we're, the loved one that we, you know, we are praying for or not. It doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change his, his plan, his purpose. We all need to have that kind of courageous and truthful reflection. Because the answer to that reflection, the answer to that question, will determine whether we rise or we fall. We stand or we fall. And by standing or fall, I mean by whether we stand in our Christian walk or we fall. Because many times... Um, I've heard you know, Christian friends who say, I've prayed for a long time. I've prayed so long for my marriage to work. It hasn't worked. I'm giving in. I'm giving up. Does this see uh, This Christianity doesn't work. No. Yes, it does. But you've got the wrong focus. You've got the wrong point. The point is not that all your problems, all the things that you want to work should work the way you want, to, you want them to work at the time that you want them to work. It's about God. It's about his timing. It's about his purpose. And you are part of it. I am part of it. And the sooner we get, we reconcile ourselves to that, the better it is for us. And the better we'll thrive as Christians. The Bible in Acts 17, verse 26 to 28 says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined that their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one. And in verse 28, it says, For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. When I first read that verse, I was like, wow. Because there was a point in time I wished I was anywhere but where I was. I would wish that I was born somewhere, you know, like in the U.S. or something. You know, some nice place like that. But when I read that verse, it encouraged me. Because sometimes... When life happens, you wish you, were in a, you belong to a different family or, you know, a different time. Maybe I should have been, you know, in the first century or whatever. I should have been there with Christ. Then I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have forsaken him. Nah, you might have been, you know, one of those that say, crucify him. But that verse has that beauty of God's Plan, deliberate plan, deliberate purpose. So whether you find yourself as a child, as a sister, as a wife, as a husband, as a worker, as an employee, as a mother, as a father, as a brother, as a servant, or even a prisoner, God has determined that in that moment, in that situation, 
we should grope for him. This groping, it's not just, you know, for me, it, it, it carries the, the meaning of your searching. All your senses are involved. When, you, when, I, when I think about the word groping, it's, it's, it's like, almost like your sight is not enough. So you have to use sense of touch. To look for To find God. And that's the whole essence of our Christian life. That when we come to God, we are to grope for him. We are to look for him. We are to, 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 to find who he is. And when he blesses us, so be it. Praise God. But that's not the point. Because when the blessings go, or when seemingly we find ourselves in a place like Job, where everything else goes, then we begin to think, hmm, maybe this thing was a lie. Maybe God has forsaken you. No. It may be. It may be not. But the only way you know is when you know your God. Amen. So in the admonishment that we are to be mature, strive for maturity, what does maturity look like? When we think of maturity, the best example of maturity is exemplified by Christ our Lord himself. In Philippians 2, verse 5 to 6, it says, and I love the version in the Message Bible because it just puts it in the context of our language today. And I'll just read it from, from my passage here where it says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having, having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death it's sobering many times we say we are Christians but we don't really consider or sit stop to think what does Christian mean like Christ a Christ follower and we don't usually stop to think is my life reflective of what Christ of, of a Christ follower am I following Christ and if I'm following Christ, am I happy? Do I have that mindset where I think of myself the way Christ thought of himself? That even though he, had, he was God, basically, he was royalty, he was deity, he didn't come on Christ and say, you know? And he was born in a time where there was no, you know, bullet train and cars and whatever, so he walked. The Bible, you know, even Philip, Philip at one point, he had, the, he had the privilege of being, you know, translated from one 
place to another. He flew, however he flew. <laughs> however he did that, however the Lord did that in his life. But he did even what Christ did not. Not that he could not, but he chose not to. So that he could show us the way to live the Christian life in our humanity. Amen. When we look at the story of Christ at the beginning of his ministry, you know, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted to bring his humanity under control, under subjection. And the Bible says he was hungry. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. His human side of him was hungry. And Satan saw that. And Satan came to him to tempt him because he knew that as a human being, he was weak. And in that weakened state, he might, just maybe might succumb, you know, to use his deity, his privileges of being God. But he didn't. And the way Jesus dealt with Satan was also an example for us. He didn't just blast him out of the sky. He could have. No. But Jesus demonstrated that he made himself obedient to the, guide, to the, to the guiding principles, to the rules that God had laid out for us to fight this war as human beings. He used the word. He answered him with the word. He didn't say, get out of here, you hooligan. Ah. Oh, he had a right to do that. He was God. But he said, it is written. This, 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 this. It is written. This, 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 this. It is written. That's an example for us to follow. The Lord Jesus kept focus on his calling. He kept focus on the higher calling. Even though maybe, you know, show, a show of power to Satan might have achieved something, but that wasn't the purpose. So he kept to the purpose and he kept on saying that I must do what the Father has commanded me to do. I must fulfill the purpose that which God has told me to fulfill, has sent me to fulfill. He kept that in focus. And that's an example for us to keep that in focus. What is it that God has put me here for? What is it that God has put you here for? What is it that God has put you um, with that husband for, with that wife for? What is it that God has put you with those children for? Or as a child, what is it that God has put you in that family for? Could it be that God wants to use you as a bondage breaker, as a curse breaker? Could it be that God is looking for you to say like Jabez, who said, I don't care where, whether, you know, all these generations, all these things that have been happening, but for me, I'm going to break this. I'm going to break this cycle. And I'm going to see, I'm going to reach out to this God and go beyond where my ancestors have gone. Go beyond where my family has gone. Could it be? 
The other example of maturity in Christ that we are to strive for is that of the apostles. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you see their humanity. They're jostling for positions, you know, who is the greatest. Can, and, and, and some of them went in and even told their mother, eh? Because they said, ah, Jesus, maybe we, if he will, you know, he will shout at us, but, you know, send mother. And mother says, ah, Lord, can you grant it that one of them can sit on your side? <laughs> and the other one on their side, I said. And he was patient. Probably he was more patient with her than he would have been with them. You know, like with Peter, he just said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> But you see that humanity coming out in the disciples. But the, the longer they stayed with Christ, the more you see that maturity. The more you see that now these people are willing to die for the cross. They are willing to die for this man whom they said, No, Lord. You cannot, be, you cannot be crucified. You cannot go to the cross. That was their humanity. But at the end of Jesus' ministry, and when you get into the book of Acts, of the Acts of the Apostles, you see that even the things that God had said, Jesus had said that if you, if you, if you learn from me, if you trust in me, if you abide in me, you would do even greater things. And they did greater things. Because in all of Jesus' ministry, at least the recorded ministry, we don't hear of him, you know, uh, healing with a shadow. But the apostles did. You know, they had so much anointing. They were so close to God that just walking by, just their shadow provided healing healed people. They just prayed for handkerchiefs and those handkerchiefs were sent to the faraway places and those handkerchiefs were laid on the sick and the sick recovered. Greater works they did. That's a sign of maturity. That's an example of maturity. They went from being called Satan to healing with a shadow. And that is something for us to attain. That is something for us to strive for. And that is something that is available for each and every one of us. It's available for me. It's available for you. Now, how do we attain to this maturity that God wants us? How do we get to that point where, you know, we move from this Christian life being about me to having a mindset where it's about a higher, it's, you know, to, to ascribing to the higher calling that God has for us. The first key is a desire. The desire for maturity. A desire strong enough that will propel you to do what it takes to get it. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it's just one of the verses that, you know, God tells us to say, you know, you seek, ask, knock. That's different forms of requests. You're seeking, you're asking, you're knocking. That's 
one example that Christ gave us on what our attitude is to be like. And I, I, I can't remember whether it was Paul or one of the apostles in one of the, in one of the epistles says, desire greater gifts. Desire greater gifts. Strive for greatness. You know? Because if you don't desire for it, you will not do what it takes. If you don't desire for it, you will not seek to find ways of achieving that. Amen. What is your desire for? Do you desire to go beyond the level of maturity that you have? I know like last, last year, towards the beginning, um, I think uh, Pastor Sunga and I think also Pastor McDowell would, would usually say, you know what, even if it means you, if you, were, if you were able to pray for, if you pray for five minutes now, by the end of the year, you can pray for ten minutes. That's progress. But make progress. And you can't make that progress if you don't desire. Amen. Humanly speaking, in human terms, you know, some, but if we don't desire anything, we don't achieve it. The things that we are able to achieve, people, people desire to be you know, to have, to, to have more papers, to be more learned, to be more um, educated and so on. So you desire for it and then you strive for it. No, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not satisfied with, with Form 4. You desire for, for college or university. And you get that. You say, no, I'm not satisfied with this. You desire for a master's. And you do all it takes to get that. No, I'm not satisfied with it. You desire. I'm not satisfied to be renting from somebody. You desire to be your own landlord. And you do what it takes. It's the same thing in the Christian life. You desire. But many times as Christians, we, we find ourselves in a, in, a, in a situation where you're like, hey, you know, that, that is, that's hard. That's for the apostles. Some of these things are metaphorical. <laughs> I know I've done it. One of the passages I love to hate was a virtuous woman. At that time, I would read that and I was like, wow, she's too perfect. Wow, there's no way. There is no way. That's not realistic. Not in today's age. But the, the word of God says it's the same yesterday, today, and today. It's eternal. That it means it's relevant. We, whatever age you are, it is relevant. And when somehow, you know, I got around to realizing that, you know, the word of God is there, whether I like it, for, I like, I like it or not, then I had to ask God, how? I'm not saying I'm, you know, 100% a virtuous woman. I have my faults. But I have a desire to attain to greater things. And as I desire to attain to greater things, there are things about my humanity that I begin to conquer slowly by slowly by slowly. And that's, and that's what the Bible talks about because it's like we are being sanctified. It's not that we have attained it, but we are being sanctified. Desire, first key, 
A second key is know your God. Know your God. In Daniel 11, verse 32, it says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Jesus knew his God. He knew his God and he knew what his will, what his will was. And he was committed to doing that will. Job knew his God. Of course, towards the end when the, um, when the problems became too much, he started rantling and so on and so forth. And he's, you know, he was found to be in error. But he knew his God enough to repent and to say, Lord, I, I thought I knew, but obviously I don't know. And God blessed him. God forgave him and he blessed him. I like the story of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For me, that was an example. It was an example that the Lord used for me to get to know him. To get to know him beyond the things that he can do for me. To get to know him beyond, um, you know, the elementary things of life and the blessings and everything. You know, when Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego said, we know our God is able to save us. We know he's able to do that. But they also know, knew God enough that it was his prerogative. It was his right. It was within his rights whether to save them or not. And they were okay with that. Because they said, we know he's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. So if he chooses that we go up in flames, that's God. Amen? If he chooses that we go up in flames, that's up to him. But we know he's able to save us. And praise God that because of God's purpose, he chose to save them so that he could make, testify to this pagan king about his existence and his might. It was all about him. They were saved from burning up in flames. But it was, that wasn't the point. It was about God's purpose. Amen. The, other, the third key is, apart from desire, apart from knowing your God, unwavering obedience, God's ways, the Bible says God's ways are higher than ours. God's ways are not our ways. So we must be prepared to follow his, his instructions and his timetable. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we know, but if he chooses not to do it according to what we wish or hope, he's God. Many times as Christians, we may lose sight of that. And we make God to be our ATM, for instance. Say, God, do this for me. God, do that. You're not doing this. He is God. He is God. And sometimes when he says, 
do this, you start to reason, you start to question. But he seeks our unwavering, unwavering obedience. The passage we read in Philippians 2. It said, he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. Because that's what God willed. And Christ knew that that was God's will. Do we know what God's will is for our lives? Do we know what God's will is for that moment, for our season? That we can obey it unwaveringly. Christ knew that God's will for him was crucifixion, and he obeyed. The example of Hannah and Samuel. God's plan for Hannah, it was to have a child, but not to have a child at the time that he want, as she wanted. Samuel needed to be born at the moment, at the time that he, he was born, so that he could coincide with other people that he needed to minister to. Amen? But can you imagine, in the meantime, Hannah, his mother, was busy suffering the ridicule, suffering, you know, all these kinds, chumba, and all, you know, all the, you know, the things that we talk. The biological clock is ticking. But God had a plan. You know? Elizabeth. Elizabeth was well off in years, and people probably had given had 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 written her off that they would never have children. But she needed to give birth to John to coincide with Jesus' birth. So that John could be the prophesied forerunner of Christ. Can you imagine if, Jesus, uh, if John was born way before Jesus? That wasn't God's plan. So when we have, when we take our minds off ourselves, when we, when we say, it's not about me, it's about God's plan then it keeps us, like I said before, it keeps us from falling. It helps us to stand. Unwavering obedience also involves not just recognizing that it's about God, God's ways are higher than our ways, it's his, it's his timetable, not ours, but it also involves personal surrender. In Romans 12, verse, or verse 2, verse two we're called, 1 to 2, we're called to be a living sacrifice. He doesn't want us dead, but he wants us, as we live, we are continually giving ourselves to him. Whether in small things or in big things. If God says, forgive, then I have to forgive. If God says, pray for this person, then I have to pray. If God says give to this person, then I have to give. If God says shut your mouth, then I have to shut, your shut my mouth. It's a living sacrifice. 
one that is constantly in touch with their God and constantly in obedience to what he's saying, to what the master is saying. An unwavering obedience also takes an acknowledgement of our limitations. When that man who wanted his son to be healed, he came to Christ and he said, you know, his, his demon-possessed son, and God, he told the Lord that, I believe, but I also have unbelief. Help my unbelief. I have faith. I have some faith. It's not like I don't believe, otherwise I wouldn't have come to you. I believe you can do it. But the theatrics that are happening here are kind of questioning and shaking my faith. So help my unbelief. There are times as Christians we have to come to that point and say, Lord, I really want to do this, but I'm struggling. So help me to obey. This doesn't make sense. Help me. This goes against everything that I believe Everything that I've known, help me. The fourth key to maturity is keeping our focus on God, keeping our focus on Jesus. John 15, verse 16, and then verse 18 to 20, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and, fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20a. Remember the word that I said to you. Amen. Keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on Jesus. He chose us. He chose me, not the other way around. When Pastor, Pastor Sungo was leading prayers this morning, he, he led us through Psalm 100. And it's the same message. I chose you, not the other way around. So whatever life brings us, whatever life throws to us, we go back to God and say, Lord, what do I do? David was called a man after God's own heart because he kept the focus on God. He kept the focus on God. He had been anointed to be king. He had opportunities to take away his opponent, but he kept the focus on God. He kept the focus. It was hard. It was hard to be, you know, to be persecuted by somebody who was now demon-possessed. And you are the anointed one. It was hard. But he kept his focus on God, knowing that he was anointed, knowing that the throne that Saul was sitting on was rightfully his, knowing that he had the anointing, not just the, the, the royal anointing of, to be king, but he had the anointing of God, and Saul had not, knowing that Saul was, the, you know, he was evil. But he didn't take those privileges like Christ did, didn't. He had his focus on God. He waited for God's timing. He waited for God's instruction. He waited for God's leading. And that's also what we're supposed to have. In Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says, We look unto Jesus, 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. Whatever it is that I'm going through, I have to look unto Jesus. Whatever it is that I'm, whatever season I'm facing, whether as a mother or as a, as a, as a citizen in my work, as a, as, a, as a wife, as a member of the church, I look unto Jesus, the author of, and the perfecter of my faith. Sometimes, maybe even, you know, pastor will call you Satan, for lack of a better word. And you say, Nasiya Church Manager, how can he do that? He cannot do that to me. He cannot say that to me. But Peter didn't do that. He was called Satan. But he said, he told the Lord, I will never leave you. <laughs> and he denied him. But he got up three times. You know, he Christ told him, before the cross cross, you deny me three times. And he did. But he went back, keeping your focus. And now he's one of the apostles. Amen. So we take our, our, our example from Christ, recognizing that our strength is not, is not in us. We don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. You don't have the strength. We remember that our weapons are not carnal. But they are mighty in the pulling down of satanic strongholds. And it, as, as the Bible calls us that we are soldiers. And as, as, and, and as soldiers, we have our commander, Jesus Christ. And as soldiers, you don't see soldiers just going about willy-nilly in a war. They wait for instructions. They wait for commands. A soldier, a foot soldier, will not just rush out and, and do what, what, you know, what they want. They have to abide by the strategy of the commanding officer. If the commanding officer says, wait, you wait. If the commanding officer says, go gather intel, you go gather intel. And for us, the commanding officer is God. So what is your commanding officer telling you in your season? What is, the, what is my commanding officer telling me? What is our commanding officer telling us as a church? The call to maturity. In closing, I just want us to just look at some few or some biblical examples of a higher calling. People who understood that it wasn't about them. When you look at Joseph, he kept his focus on God. God had spoken to him that he was going to be a leader. But all through, through his mistreatment with his brothers, through his being sold into slavery, through being now the, the favored slave of Potiphar, through all that, he kept God. The focus was on God. He kept his focus on God. He kept his, his mind and his eyes and his obedience to God. There was no one in Egypt who cared about God. There was no one who was going to know if he slept with Mrs. Potiphar or not. He was a slave. And he could have done that and probably become, you know, like improved his position a bit. 
But for him, his focus was on God. It wasn't about his, even though he wanted to get out of slavery, he knew that it was unfair. He knew that, you know, you know, he didn't deserve to be in there. But he focused on God. And in his due time, God elevated him. Because God knew that in his plan, which he had, connect, he had communicated to Abraham, he had told Abraham that your descendants are going to be in a foreign land. They are going to be captives in a foreign land for 400 years. So Joseph was just a key component of that plan. And when he kept his eye and his focus on God, God was able to fulfill that plan in his life, through him. And he was able to provide salvation to his people. So that under his obedience, his unwavering obedience, the children of Israel were able to multiply from a family into a nation that was large enough to go and conquer the promised land. When you look at Abraham, Abraham was called out of his people, his father's house. He said, get out of your father's house, your people, your, your country, and go somewhere into a land that I will show you. That is as vague as it can be. And at first, Abraham had problems with that. Because when you come to Genesis 12, after his father died, Oh, Genesis 11, towards the end of Genesis 11, you see that he, instead of obeying God fully, he took his father with him. Dude, leave your father. He told his father. I don't know how that went, but him and his father, they left. They left Ur into Haran, and then they settled there. Partial obedience. After his father died, God spoke to him again. Remember, I told you this. Leave your people. Leave your land. Go to a land that I will show you. He gets his nephew with him. If he had left his nephew, then Abraham's descendants would have had less people to deal with. Because the descendants of his nephew became a, a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites. It wasn't about him. Earlier on, Abraham lost sight of that fact. Lost sight that it was a higher calling. Because if he had, if he had caught that there in the beginning he would have had that unwavering obedience. But no, he got Lot along. And he took Lot into the promised land to multiply. And later on, you hear the children of Israel having to, you know, to, 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 to wage war against the Moabites, the Ammonites, who were descendants of Lot. An unholy descendant at that. Amen? When God finally separated from Lot, I mean, when Abraham finally separated from Lot, that's when God now 
revealed his full plan, the covenant, that this is what I want. This is what I intend to do with you. Because the plan of God with Abraham was with Abraham. And it involved coming out of his land, his father's house, his people, and his country. Something which Abraham had failed to do over and over. But God's grace, he still made sure that that promise was fulfilled. Because even along the way, Abraham had lost sight of what God had said. Because he thought, uh, God's timetable, you know, maybe my servant. And God told him, no, it's not your servant. It's from your seed. Okay, my seed. Okay. And then Sarah says, Haga. No, it's not about that. And, 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 and yeah, we, we know what's happening now. So there's a cost when we keep our mind, when we, when we keep our mind on ourselves. Abraham's story, when you look at Abraham's story, it should serve as an example and it serves also as a warning for us. Many times we are tempted as Christians when things are happening or when God commands us or challenges us to do something, we're tempted to just think it's about us. You know, as Brother Emma said last week, our eyes are not open to see in the spirit. Many times we say, you know, we, we've said, um, you know, this marriage is hard. This, you know, this, this wife is from hell. This husband is from hell. In essence, you know, I'm gone. It's about me. No, it's not about you. You have seed in you. Whatever decisions you're doing now, whatever choices you're making now, have repercussions for the future. Amen. In the same way that the choices that Abraham made to bring along his father. Maybe his father is the one who told him, you know what, your brother is dead. You can't abandon your son. I mean, your, 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 your brother's son. You have a responsibility. Take Lot with you. Maybe his father said that. We don't know. We just, knew, we just know that he ended up taking him with him. And they ended up having trouble generations later. Amen. So this morning, our, my, my urge to us and to me is that may God help us to keep our focus. May God help us to have the right perspective. Our Christianity, our faith, is not about us. It's about God. It's a higher calling. And my obedience to God will be rewarded. Because I am just a part of his plan. I am just a part of his grandiose plan. And it's not just for now, it's for eternity. Amen. We are talking about Abraham. That's thousands of years ago. But whatever choices he made then, we are having to live with those choices now. Whatever choices our ancestors made, we are having to live with those choices now. If we look at our families, 
you know. The choices that our families made, whether it's a choice to go and consult a singer or to dedicate, to dedicate themselves to another deity, it affects generations after us. Whether it's a choice to, you know, to, to separate or a choice to live a loose life, it affects generations after that. It's not about us. We're just a part. So how are we going to leave that part? How are you going to leave that part? How am I going to leave that part? God is calling us to open our eyes, like Brother Amos admonished us last week. Open our eyes, eyes that see. And remember that God chose us. We didn't choose him. So while, you know, he may have used a certain crisis, or whatever, but we're not remaining in that crisis mode. We're to desire him. We're to desire greater gifts. Amen. I just want us to pray. As we come to the end, I just want us to rise up and just pray and say, Lord, help me. Help me to have eyes that see. Help me to see you. To, 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 to realize that it's not about me. That it's a higher calling. Give me that courage. Like that father prayed, say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Our prayer is that God has spoken to your heart. Be blessed in this week.